Jesse and Phil. Um, so Jesse, if you're not, if you if you're not fully aware, <laughs> Phil was the first guest uh, on the Humanity First series, the very first one. This is where it started. It is great to have you on the show uh, today. And uh, so, how are you doing tonight, Phil? Um, I've started to feel a bit better. I have been dealing with a lot of really screwed up, like just personal stuff. My, uh, I'm uh, still kind of reeling from the loss of my sister who uh, died a month ago. So I've, I've been kind of in a bad headspace. So but I think I'm kind of getting out of the hole now. So people want a little bit of uh, the more vulnerable Phil, this is it. That is, uh, you know, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show and, and uh, uh, being willing to have this conversation because that is, that is a really vulnerable place to, uh, to begin from. Uh, you know, I, I, I would have, you know, I would have wished to have met under better circumstances, but um, no, I, I really appreciate you coming on today and, and uh, you know, being willing to talk about it. Yeah, it's just been a very kind of traumatic year. You know, honestly, it all went downhill once Andrew Yang dropped out. If you think about it. Yeah, yeah, everything just sort of fell apart right after that. That that's that was right when I made my uh, Facebook group. Actually, was uh, I, I made it in response to him falling out, basically. And and uh, after my conversation with Jenner, um, you know, I I kind of I realized I had to just do something because it was it was going to fall apart. Um, the the movement was sort of based on this vision of a. a of there being a, a chance for everybody and there being a, a way forward for everybody. And that was his vision. Uh, and then as soon as he left, you know, it was, it was gonna become a divisive, uh, of a divisive thing again, and that's exactly what's happened. Yeah, and this pandemic is really, has really, sh- I think it's shaken everybody. Um, I think people just haven't dealt with anything like this before. And it's leaving people in a very just heightened sense of of anxiety and stress, and you know, people that have already are already dealing with stuff is just it's just being magnified quite a bit, you know. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I I, um, I guess I wonder what do you see as the the thing that we could do now at, at this moment those of us who um, you know those of us who are trying to, to help people through this uh, what, what's been a source of strength for you and what's you know how are you how are you thinking about these things hmm I don't know it seems like it's just been a catastrophic failure in America but I think 
I think what could help is people trying to agree on some basic things, like, you know, we should try to protect people from this illness and not be so self, like, like so self in, inward looking that we're like, you know, oh, it's a minor inconvenience, so screw you, you know. I, I think it's it's now time for people to to unite behind a common goal, but the way the political system is now, even this goddamn virus is political, but what people can do, I think, I, I think, pretend like we should strive to be like where America was during World War II, uh, where we were dealing with some really hard stuff and we kind of all um, bonded together over it. And I think, you know, just hell, just smiling to the, you know, well, if you, of course we have masks now, but just just show appreciation to your, to your fellow Americans instead of trying to find something terribly wrong with other people. Uh, but I mean, I, I'm kind of rambling here, uh, but I don't, I don't know the best way forward, but I, I just think people people need to get back to showing kindness and love for one's countrymen, and I think we are really missing that. Yeah, no, I, I could not agree more. Yeah, I don't I don't think that's a ramble at all. I think you're you're right on on target there with gratitude basically being the the key to the whole thing, and and gratitude for one another. I would say. Rather than, rather than finding fault with what our neighbors are not, we, we can appreciate them and recognize them for, for who they are. And, um, you know, everybody's got something to offer. You know, everybody's got their, their superpower, whether it's already been unleashed or whether it's still latent. And I think, it, it, it really caught me off guard that so much of this has become politicized, uh, you know, that, that so much um, of what really could just be a scientific question is uh, you know, just so, so polarized that, that that did surprise me quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, I never thought we'd be at the point where, like, People think wearing something as simple as just like wearing a mask is like oppression, and I'm like, you know, it's it's not really for you. It's really for others. It's really to protect others from you because you don't know if you have an infection. And I just think we've kind of lost. I don't know. We, we've lost what it means to be united as a country like after 9-11 we were extremely united and now we're dealing with something much worse than 9-11 in my opinion oh and, yeah when you're looking at the death count i mean there's no comparison it you know there there was it was it was a tragedy with 9-11 but then the wars that came after was and you know it only escalated the the death count uh, and then the you know, it, it's, it was an overreaction, I think, for the past 20 years 
um, to uh, what had been a, a terrorist group that was trying to provoke the United States, and, and they did it. And I, I think the people's trust in in our government and, and in our political system was uh, really frayed after that because we were told. I don't know if I don't know if you're uh, old enough to remember the. Um, debate going on about whether or not to invade Iraq and all of those things, but it was uh, it, it was really misleading. You know, you had Colin Powell uh, uh, assuring the, the countries of the world that there was weapons of mass destruction, and there, there wasn't. And so, you know, there was there was so much, or that there was a connection to Al Qaeda, and at that time there wasn't. And so. Uh, you know, we went into a war on false pretenses, and I, and I, that was really where my faith got shattered, and it, I, I don't think I've ever quite gotten to that point of confidence in the government to, to where it was when, uh, uh, when 9-11 happened and, and Bush was, you know, that, that rally around the flag effect kind of had us all unite behind uh, behind that idea of American triumph, and uh, uh, you know, it, it has been downhill ever since then. I think. Yeah, I, I think, I think we're now at an all-time high where people just have no faith in people in government. It's like an automatic. I don't know. It's just Andrew Yang got it so right. It's an, people have an automatic just gut reaction against the federal government and it's like they've lost touch with the needs and desires of the American people and now they we we feed we feed the wrong things and not the right things like you know we feed we feed the military industrial complex we feed you know tax cuts for the very wealthy instead of you know, trying to come up with a more fair tax code. Um, and I, I think people are at their boiling point, and especially in a system, one of the only countries that still does not have some sort of universal health care for everyone. Uh, I, I think people are just feeling like there's just no, there's no sort of cushion for them. And that puts them on edge and that makes them fight with each other. Uh, if that makes sense. Absolutely, yeah. I think scarcity is the thing that does that. I mean, that's the, that framework of scarcity mindset versus, um, you know, abundance mindset. That that's really going to be the differentiator between whether we grow or whether we shrink and, and collapse. You know, and, and that's what's that's what's frightening about this particular moment is that it seems like it could go either way. It, it's it seems like we haven't quite made up our minds yet of what kind of world this is going to be, uh, but it's, it, it feels like the momentum's wrong. Um, that, that, is, that is the sense that I get. Yeah, well, when I was talking about 9-11, I was talking about kind of how the citizenry, yeah, maybe we lost touch with, well, lost faith in the government, especially with the wars after that. Yeah. But, um, but I think... It, it just seems like we all kind of united and I, I've never seen 
the, the way that we are so not united as a nation right now is it's it scares me and i want i want it to be the united states of america again um and and, and not you know this football game between how crazy on one side you can get and crazy on the other side you can get where you know people actually you know do do what's needed and what's right it's i mean like it's like either you're hitler or a communist right now right. to whoever you talk to yeah. and that's that's no way if, if that's going to be our discourse things will fall apart and it can get very ugly so um that's kind of what i have to say about that i i am just scared of how fragmented this country is and honestly like that's one of the reasons why i basically said okay this two-party system's crazy the way we have it now it's like two sides have to be diametrically opposed to each other on everything and uh it didn't used to be that way but now it is and i just like forget it this is not a system of people who think independently and you know so that's why i've kind of gotten on the libertarian bandwagon but they have lots of problems too like i mean i guess i like the philosophy more than the actual party but at least they talk about things on a very consistent basis when the two main parties right now all they are, are double standards yeah it, it really does seem like whatever it is that the other side is doing is bad and evil and whatever our side is doing is good and just and it doesn't matter the fact that the roles were reversed two weeks ago <laughs> it, it's it's uh it's a really strange dynamic and and but i you know i think it's probably always been that way i think humans are are just kind of like that you know if you go back to uh, you know some of the previous eras and you see some of the acrimony um, the, I, I think it's amplified in this era because of our technologies because we have social media and it, it, it was not always uh, it was not always the case there used to be gatekeepers you know there were there was people who while they may have manipulated the narrative and they may have abused their power they also kept the crazies at bay you know they couldn't they couldn't uh they couldn't just tweet storm complete nonsense and have that permeate the national consciousness and now that um those gatekeepers are no longer effective at being able to do that they've all kind of turned in or, or been forced into becoming clickbait to some degree um, yeah we're, we're we're given we're given what we like to hear yeah to an echo chamber and that is ripe for radicalization yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's absolutely. like it's like social media may be a black ball technology. You've heard of a black ball technology? No, tell us about that. Oh, uh, I heard it like on the Sam Harris podcast, but it's like throughout the advancement of civilization, we're going to come across different technological breakthroughs, and some of them can cause some significant damage if we aren't careful with that. And like one, one example would be the atomic bomb, um, you know, some sort of 
like what would happen if the atomic bomb, if anyone could build one in their own backyard, you know, and, and, and now I'm starting to think social media is like one of those things that's just so destructive to human behavior that it's going to cause us all to turn on each other for literally no apparent reason because you're just fed what you want to hear all the time and you and you don't try to have a people no longer try to take a kind of a third more neutral take on things well and and you know as you say that that is one of the one of the challenges maybe uh i guess you could say with with ubi um you know as long as we're talking about kind of dark topics and and uh um you know, difficult subjects. Um, we're all three pretty strong proponents of UBI, and uh, but there are there are uh, people who have arguments against it that are that are sound. You know, and and yeah. one of those one of those arguments I think is that in the the world as we have it now, for the most part, you kind of have to be able to cooperate with other people. You kind of have to be able to. Um, you know, to some degree, uh, uh, either get some kind of work or um, have some sort of familial relationships or, or something like that. Um, and with UBI, you can pretty much go off the rails and there would be nothing, uh, uh, there would be not necessarily no penalty, but there would be no um, guardrails, I guess you could say, of having to face reality. Um, like, so, for example, like when Milton Friedman, I think he said, you know, one of the most productive ways to get people to not kill each other is to engage in the, you know, the uh, trade of goods and services between yeah. consenting parties. Yeah. And you have to, you have to act a certain way in order to have access to a standard of living that's palatable. And yeah, I mean, I could see that. So that that's why I think UBI could not be like, oh, that's a tr- that's a tough one. Like, it it, it could make people more ra- radicalized because then they are not um, they are not uh, what, what do you call it? They aren't responsible to anyone, you know? Right. Yeah. It, it, I mean, I think. The issue is that no matter what we do, there's going to be problems. That that's um, yeah. that's kind of something that I, I've been coming to terms with is that there is actually no. E- it's not that there's no easy solution. It's that there is no full solution because even if we even if we came up with a perfect set of policies for whatever the circumstances, circumstances are constantly changing. Geopolitics is changing. Technology is changing. Society is changing. So. There's, it, there's never a static uh, set of policies that we could ever enact that would um, keep us at an, at an ideal uh, circumstance. And so, um, it, you know, that's one of the challenges with law, I think. And that's why people are always frustrated with government is because government is such a static sort of a thing. You know, we have, there, there's still judgments that uh, were made in courts you know, decades ago, and those judgments, or, or hundreds of years ago sometimes, you know, a precedent has a very long-standing duration, 
in many cases. And so, uh, you know, that, that, that's, that's tough because it doesn't always fit what we think, how, how we think sh things should be. And that's why, you know, we're always perpetually um, uh, chafing against the system like that. Right, and I think people have to realize that the problem is with just vying for political, vying for political power to finally get your way pushed across on people. That's not going to be an effective form of government going forward in the age of information. We need to start basically applying the scientific method to governance and policies and start looking at data, which was the amazing thing when someone was just like, you know, at the State of the Union, let's have a goddamn PowerPoint. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I, I <laughs> yeah. couldn't, I couldn't have, like, I have not heard of such a good idea. Because right now, the State of the Union is one of the worst, like, displays of partisanship I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah. It's, it's, it's disgusting, uh, the way everyone stands up and claps, depending on what talking point you believe in. And I, I don't know, I think it's counterproductive. And I think if the founders saw what the State of the Union has turned into, I don't even know if they had a State of the Union in the early days, but get rid of it. Get rid of yeah. it or, 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 or have it be like, like we need to get to not policy based on, you know, who can make the best argument. Like, like his lawyers, they're basically just trained to argue. We, we need to go with policy that has the best potential outcomes right. uh, based upon, you know, the evidence. Like, 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 let's look at the country that does the best healthcare. Like, look at what they're doing and see if we can duplicate it somehow. Um, you know, let's look at uh, something like climate change, because climate change is not going to be solved with politics. It's going to be solved with science. And governments are notoriously bad to... Uh, like, on matters of science. And it, it, we're, we're at the point now where we, with everything we look at, we have to look at data. Uh, and I think that's just part of how civilization is going forward. And um, because right now people will believe whatever they want to believe with no real data backing, backing it up. And, you know, I, I've also learned to try to um, be okay when I'm proven wrong. And I think that's hard for people, especially in the world of politics, which is based on a lot of ego, because, um, you know, it's all about winning the next election cycle. And I, I think, yeah, I think we need to start looking things in terms of, 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 of data and evidence and not, you know, how we feel. And I think we need to, again, I'm bringing up the scientific method, method again, because the scientific method is basically a a check on our ignorances or on our no, sorry it's basically our check on our it's a way to check our you know our, our biases and basically lets us understand our uh, ignorance and allows us to correct for it and i think we need more of that type of thing in government that would be a, a, a beautiful thing if it happened. 
Um, you know, it, it, it does come down to just basic literacy, I think. And you could see that just painfully evident when Mark Zuckerberg was um, being interviewed by uh, Congress people and they, you know, it was evident that they had absolutely no concept of how technology works or how Facebook works or any of it. And those are the people who are the, the ones that <laughs> are, are supposedly supposed to make the rules of the, of the road that we all play by. And that's just not, they're not equipped to do it. You know, and um, so lawyers are very good at at getting votes and at convincing, and 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 when it comes to rhetoric and those sorts of things, and they're good at telling people what they want to hear and being rewarded for that. And right, telling people uh, what they want to hear, and and if you noticed, our our guy Yang would disagree and explain why he disagreed on things. Yeah, yeah. You know, so. But, but you know, there's, there's a lot of ways to interpret what happened in that primary. Mm-hmm. And one of them is that he lost. And that's, that's obviously true. He did lose. But another way to look at that is that for Bernie to get Medicare for all, uh, basically at the, at the head of the, the priority list for the Democratic Party, um, you know, to, to have it debated at the highest levels took him decades, like yeah. re, a really long time. Yang has done extraordinary things in just one cycle. You know, he, oh he my got, gosh, yes. you know what I mean? It's like, it's insane how much he has shifted the national consciousness, whether people realize it or not. How far he got, yes. how far he got was nuts. I mean, I, I thought he would do better in terms of primary votes but just the fact that he was on that stage so many times yeah was amazing yeah and and not just that he had a platform to speak to the entire public which is very important but it the the maybe even the more important thing is that he has access to all the gatekeepers now that to the extent that there are still gatekeepers he's got the keys and you know he's there meeting with uh you know people as as powerful as mark cuban now you know i i I love the podcast that he did with mark cuban and you know he's not not necessarily that mark has political power but mark absolutely has social power and financial power and i I, so I, i actually this is an idea that i've sort of been wondering about or or playing with which is that we may not even need the government to do what we want the government to do as as the solution we we may end up just sort of bypassing the government altogether to some degree in in the sense in the sense that um you know if if you think to the industrial revolution um you know the the townspeople and the merchants they didn't really they weren't able to overturn the aristocracy and the, and the, you know, the feudal system. And they may not have necessarily even wanted to because, you know, it wasn't completely to their disadvantage, but, uh, but they did have these free towns and they would be able to, you know, have some degree of autonomy and, and they made such fortunes that they became more powerful than the, uh, uh, aristocracy in a lot of ways. They might, they may not have had 
uh, you know, some of the refinement and the the prestige and everything like that, but they certainly had the power in a lot of in, in a lot of situations. And so the power to change things doesn't necessarily have to come from official channels. Sometimes the grassroots channels or the um, e economic channels are far more powerful. And eventually, to, to a large extent, parliament and, and um, you know, government advisors and, and officials became more powerful than the monarchs. And you know the kings pretty much nowadays you know the queen of england has virtually no real power you know she only has figurehead status and i think uh it, it may be another revolution that we're witnessing right now where government is being made obsolete and that it's just being bypassed so it still serves maybe its core functions uh, you know, just like the queen serves her core function of, of uh, being a symbolic figure for the nation, but the real business of governing the nation is no longer done by monarchs. And so I, I, I think it's that could be happening again right now. It's like, maybe if you think about it, from getting from feudalism to the Industrial Revolution took basically technology and machinery that gave people the ability to have goods and services for a lower price and that basically gave people their own power and now I think what's giving people their own power is the te technological age where you know honestly like like you say the traditional government is becoming obsolete like honestly people couldn't start forming their own like like communities online and you know and basically write their own rules on how they operate you know yeah, absolutely, and and the and that's what we've been doing. That's that's the Facebook group. That's the Mindwave Universe. That's the, the, the podcasts, the audiences that form around that. Uh, yeah, exactly. These are these are communities that are beyond the reach of government or votes or even economics. You know, it's not even it's not even subject to that. And uh, you know, so and, and it's very powerful. You know, you can get you can get a lot of volunteerism behind so many different movements now that. Uh, it, it, it is a serious challenge to the power of government, um, regardless of whether, uh, uh, you know, it, it can it can necessarily change policies. It can absolutely change minds and it can change the course of history. Yeah, like here's an example where I think the efficiency of government is kind of laughed at. It's, if you look, I mean, people like, I sometimes see people like, you know, no one should have to crowdfund for healthcare. At this point, that seems pretty effective because the government's not providing it. Insurance companies sure as shit aren't. Uh, and I, I think things like crowdfunding will start to replace taxation. Yeah. I mean, but it's it's a big if though because it's like it's still voluntary though. But I, I think people are, and this comes back to kind of a, like kind of a libertarian idea. Is it more moral to force people under threat of jail time to pay into a system that doesn't actually help people in the right way than to just give your money to the people that need it yourself? Like it's, it's kind of a, 
it's, it's a question we should ask ourselves. Like, you know, every every time you say, should the government do something? You got to also realize that, that means, you know, there's there's force involved there. Yeah. And I think, I think that's why we need to like, make sure the framing is right uh, and, and make sure whatever policies we do be like this is why we're doing it um, what am I trying to say we're, we're doing it because we really think it's a good idea and not just because we're power hungry um, right. and, and I think a lot of us have to I don't know realize that maybe just just the eternal increasing of taxation is is in fact making the government worse and not better and i think maybe we can get to a point where maybe we can bypass some of the inefficiencies of the government through things like crowdfunding like hell if a town needs a new bridge built and you know no one's gonna you know the the tax system is so broken that there's there's not enough money coming from the right places to build the bridge it'll be like screw it let's hire a local engineering firm to build it for us and we'll just pay them through crowdfunding and then you know or when they do build it pay for it by using tolls or something you know i i think i i think now the the government's becoming so broken that a lot of people need to start to realize that you know it's it's up to us like local cities to do shit you know um and there's something kind of beautiful there and i think i don't know how i kind of got on that subject but well but, i think the beauty is that humans adapt you know it's one yeah. of those things where uh you know and you and you um you mentioned the technologies that could prove fatal what was the name for that term again like a black ball technology black so ball. it's like yeah yeah like, like imagine yeah. i forget the guy it was like he was on sam harris but it's like imagine you have a string of beads you have you have white beads and then gray beads and black beads Basically, you keep pulling out of the jar, like the string of beads, and eventually you had a technology that's a little bit kind of crazy, you know. Uh, like, I, I think basically a technology that could cause some havoc if it was used irresponsibly. And um, in, so. in, indeed, I I was I was putting it in the um, the. Uh, private notes down there but that's actually Nick Bostrom the vulnerable world hypothesis which um, you know every new discovery that, that that we have is kind of somewhere on the spectrum we have a lot of uh, kind of like safe um, safe balls that we draw from this earn the white balls these are these like, are wonderful things like clean drinking water or something mm, yes yes and then we have kind of morally gray we have the gray balls which are things like unlocking the power of the atom um, which is an insane potential but also you know for good or for bad and then the black ball the black ball being drawn from the urn is like okay this is uh, this is civilization ending level yeah. potential potential shit but yes that is nick bostrom i i i did the jamie i did the jamie <laughs> you did it nick, you, yes. nick bostrom the vulnerable world hypothesis oh fossil fuels <laughs> i've got a here's an example of what i think at least a gray belt technology it's it's fossil fuels because it's like one of those things where it brings us prosperity but if 
we use too much of it, it's going to screw up our our world. So we need to find an alternative fast, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, coal especially. It, it boggles my mind that uh, I'm nearing 40 years old and I did not expect that we would still be using coal at this point in my life. Uh, of course, I was I was kind of also taken in by the, uh, you know, back to the future. I thought, you know, this is past the future at this point. I thought we would have hover cars. But, uh, <laughs> it's okay. Right. But, uh, but we do have the Star Trek communicator, so that is pretty cool. You know, we've got... Uh, uh, you know some some very cool technologies that are in, in many ways better than what they had on the show. So uh, you know that that that's gone well in some to some degree. It's just weird that it's powered by coal. Yeah, it's uh, when um, it, so another one of my hobbies. If people haven't listened, is I'm a big nuclear power advocate, and holy crap, did we miss yeah. a huge opportunity. Uh, to 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 really solve a lot of humanity's problems, um, but I I just want to make sure that we're getting that we're back on track because I I don't want to side the conversation, but uh, just I just forget. So you were you talked about we got kind of hooked on black ball technologies, but what were you talking about before that? Well, yeah, actually, nuclear was one of the things that I wanted to talk with with you about a little bit. Um, and there was something else. It's 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 kind of uh, uh, gone from my mind now, though, because I'm I'm so interested in in uh, nuclear. Because I think it, I I read somewhere that um, the this is the first time in a long time that we've sort of reached an inflection point where both the Democratic Party and the Republican Party are both in favor of nuclear technology. You remember yes. hearing anything about that, or or you want to speak to that? Yeah, I think at least this guy I know his name's. Uh... Um, what's his name? Uh, James Conca. He writes in Forbes. Great energy writer. Um, he was talking about. Oh wait, no. It was a different guy. His name is. Uh, what was his name? Um, shoot, I don't remember his name. But there Jamie's was on like, it. Jamie's on it. He's looking. Our our gen. Like I have elevator music. Oh, his name is. Let me find this. So recently, it's like, um, oh, let's see. It's on my, it's on one of my pages here. So let me bring it up. Sorry, this is a Jamie moment. No, no, that's fine. They're fantastic. I put that in the um, private notes there. Uh, Nick Bostrom's uh, paper, The Vulnerable World Hypothesis, uh, Future of Humanity Institute, City uh, of Oxford. Global Policy, Volume 10, Issue 4, November 2019. <laughs> oh, okay, this guy named Robert Bryce. Um, he Robert wrote an article in Forbes, at least this is the one that kind of speaks to what you're talking about. It says, after 48 years, Democrats endorse a nuclear energy and platform. That's what I read. Mm. Yes, that was Robert yes. Bryce. Yep. Yep. Um, you, may have, you may have even seen that on my... I probably did. You know, I probably, yeah, I think when we when we first became friends on uh, Facebook, that's probably where I saw it. I would yeah. not be surprised. It's on Americans for Nuclear Energy. If anybody's interested, we have a Facebook page. And we've, we've got a, a, almost uh, 14,000 likes, so uh, give it a like if people are listening. Boom. I got a lot from Libertarians. Holy shit. When I did that podcast with nice. the Libertarian nominee and stuff. Um, 
Oh, that's huge. Man, I cannot tell you how huge that is. That is too cool. We got it. We, we got her before Reagan. Seriously. Yeah, yeah. I got her before. Oh, well, yeah. Um, but so back to what you were saying. Yeah, like it, it's now to the point like enough progressive environmentalists finally realize the truth about nuclear and realize that they basically were lied to about how dangerous it is and how bad it is for the environment. And they're just like, look, if you're concerned about climate change, this is not negotiable anymore. It's yeah. just not. And I've, I think it's great, but the thing is, both parties aren't doing enough to protect our existing nuclear capacity right now. We are losing plants every year because they are not being kept open because no one is valuing their carbon-free potential. It's like we, we, the people that get all the subsidy are the wind and solar folks right. and nuclear can't compete with natural gas. So nuclear is closing in these huge amounts. Like, like these are huge plants. They're now being replaced by natural gas and we are going to start increasing our emissions here soon. We have been relative, we've been decreasing in the United States for quite a few years because we've basically phased out a lot of coal with natural gas natural gas is less carbon per BTU or per energy unit. Um, but if, if the trend continues and we keep losing these huge plants, we are going to start reversing any sort of progress we've made over the last like 15 years. Uh, like recently, like there, there's going to be two plants, I think in, let's see where, where were they? Uh, I think two plants in Illinois or something. Um, is it Illinois? Just a second, let me see where it was. Hold on a second. Um, oh, if anybody else is interested in like pro-nuclear activism, check out this uh, site called Generation Atomic. Uh, I actually have more likes than they do on Facebook, but, <laughs> but sorry. Sorry, Eric, uh, but I, I have to tip my hat a little bit, but we're close. We're close. Wait, no. They have a little bit more than me. Never mind. Sorry. They still win. But uh, um, let's see. Plants in... Oh, plants in Illinois. Uh, so, why did I say Illinois? I always say that. Illinois. Um, and we've. this is after we've lost Three Mile Island. The, the operational unit that was still there. And we've also lost a unit in New York, which powered uh, basically 15% of New York City's electricity carbon-free gone. No one talks about this stuff. Um, we're losing these plants and people, the uh, both the Democrats and the Republicans aren't doing enough. Like Trump is actually really good on nuclear, mm -hmm. but in terms of like getting legis signing legislation, but he's not like doing any sort of public outreach to be like, look, we need to save our nuclear power plants right. that already exist, you know? So, uh, but. So he's not really getting in the way, but he he's not putting his shoulder to the wheel either. Right. And uh, like the, again, this just comes back to evidence. People need to, start breaking down the numbers. Where are where are clean energy sources coming from? Solar, I hate to say this, is a is a goddamn joke. And I and I know this is gonna piss a lot of people off. But it's still like 
like like one to two percent of our electricity and people think that that's that it's like the the panacea of clean energy and that like we're all going to be able to power everything off of solar it's wind is even better like it's much better than solar and wind is still problematic too uh but we 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 need to look at where where have grids actually decarbonized their their uh electricity and um the case study i talk about is france and germany we all hear germany uh you know they're always they're always they tried a national project to get their their energy grid carbon neutral which is very hard to do right uh and 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 they're just like okay wind and solar is promising let's try it well they failed they yes they have a a a good amount of wind and solar they can put on their grid but it makes it very expensive it's it's not reliable they have to import energy from other countries they have to export when they have too much um it's 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 not a good oh and then and germany being an idiot and merkel should know better uh because she's a like a physicist uh they they decided to shut down all nuclear power plants because of fukushima yeah like like fukushima has anything to do with german nuclear power plants germany's like there aren't there aren't even any really by the ocean i don't think in germany there's like a two but they were just like oh we're gonna phase it out and they've increased their use of this stuff called lignite which is called brown coal it's basically fossilized fossilized uh like peat bog and it's like this really filthy form of coal and and germany is one of the the worst emitters of of in terms of just volume of carbon dioxide of any country in the european union so germany needs to we, they, they failed at it and then if you go out france and what they did 30 years ago you are like i mean and they and they did it within like 15 years is they switched their grid to nuclear and they were originally sorry about that they switched to nuclear because they had a lot of oil burning uh like uh, electricity plants and they freaked out during the uh oil shortage of the 70s they're just like oh shit we should not be running our electric grid on a very like unstable fuel you know like when geopolitically you know yeah and uh they they made their grid 70 percent nuclear which is huge and it's also like 25 percent hydro so they have the cleanest electric grid in europe basically except for some of the scandinavian countries that basically rely mostly on hydro um but but nuclear and hydro have been what have decarbonized grids and it's happened the only place that we've seen decarbonized grids rely mainly on hydro and nuclear and we can see that in france we can see that in norway and sweden denmark a little bit but they have lots of hydro and th that's on all the time um we have ontario ontario uh like used to be like 50 percent coal they got off of coal completely and they got off of gas almost completely and they used nuclear and hydro uh let's see like like those are two very good examples and again this comes back to, to evidence 
not many people know about this stuff, but man, I'm telling people, once they start learning about nuclear, they're going to realize that one, they've been lied to, two, that it's a lot of the anti-nuclear propaganda turned, I mean, was was ridiculously foolish. And, and three, we could have really had a handle on climate change by, by now yeah. if we if we actually utilized it, but we got scared and it's like, I think we got scared because it, it started out being a bomb, right? People fear things they don't understand, which also explains the um, aversion to, um, you know, like nuclear, nuclear energy and molecular biotechnology. I think like genetic engineering level stuff is the the potential is equally cosmically insane uh, but so are the yeah. dangers and the only real representation that people have had in mainstream culture for these things um, are horror stories you know how this goes horribly wrong how many Jurassic Park movies do we need to make before we realize cloning uh, you know dinosaurs is maybe not a great idea um, which I'm still all for cloning dinosaurs. Uh, it's, it's not possible, but if we were able to do it, like bring back the woolly mammoth for sure. <laughs> uh, but it is kind of like that. Uh, we need some more. There are no barrels. Right. We, we need some more uh, movies and, you know, pop culture that isn't about what can go wrong, but can go right for Christ's sake. Yeah. 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 Or, or maybe, or maybe what's already gone wrong with not using these technologies, because the opportunity cost of that is the is the problem that we're now dealing with. And so, uh, actually, that I, I I wanted to back up a little bit about France's network because that's really interesting. I, did they? How do they deal with waste? Do, do they have an efficient process? Or they a, they do reprocessing, so they have like plants that take the spent fuel rods and basically, you know, isolate the fissionable stuff that's left. Because in a modern reactor, like in the, in our current reactors, which are usually the light water reactors, it's not Chernobyl shit. So anybody who mentions Chernobyl can do some research. Uh, but the, uh, you know, b before these fuel rods wear out just because of the stress of the reaction, they only use like 1% of the fuel inside of it. And the rest, they just, you know, but there's so little of it that they don't really, like in the United States, we don't really re reprocess it because there's no need to. Uranium's cheap and it's very easy to store these spent fuel rods, but uh, France does have reprocessing. We don't reprocess here for some reason. Some, I think environmentalists got after it because the thing about reprocessing is that it does isolate plutonium and plutonium the isotope you do get from fuel rods, you know, if you refine it to a high purity, can be turned into a weapon. But, you know, there's lots of international safeguards against that. Um, the International Atomic Energy Agency is one of the most, like, uh, efficient UN watchdog services out there. Uh, and, and, and they monitor all this. That's why the, the whole Iran thing, like, people are always worried about, you know, how you're chemically altering nuclear fuel. Um, but uh, the, the the fact that they reprocess doesn't really make it 
somehow safer though. It just means that they have, have less of a stream of the stuff coming out. And again, they're only using like 1% of the fuel before the fuel rods wear out. So they basically clean it up again and then put it in for a few more times in the reactor. And then they uh, put it in this stuff. They use this process called glass vitrification, which they take some of the really nasty stuff from it. Um, and they put it in glass and they, and literally all of the high level waste fits in one warehouse in wow. France. Wow. And so, it's sequestered. My, my understanding of this is that it's sequestered, uh, not just the, the, there are no you know carbon emissions or any sort of pollutions like that but even the radiation uh there's actually less radiation from nuclear plants than there is from coal plants is my understanding right because there's still, oh, still nuclear and and that, i think that surprises people so maybe uh do you want to um, well, well the reason is is because nuclear is the people who work with nuclear know that radiation is a is like nuclear reactions cause very like high level or not high energy radiation. So in order to even develop the technology, you have to have the shielding and the safeguards already in place to, you know, keep your workers safety. So baby, keep your workers safe, you know, even during the atomic bomb age, like we had to use, you know, like, you know, you might have seen this in Homer Simpson, bad example, but <laughs> right. you would uh, manipulate stuff behind the, like, the lead glass, you know, you know, like using the little hand things like, like right. nuclear already has radiation safety built into it. Coal never, never did. Right. And, and, and coal, people don't realize the, the amount of heavy metals and, uh, like thorium and uranium that exist naturally in, uh, in coal, including like arsenic and shit. Coal's coal's literally a, a demon fuel. So like like you said earlier, the fact that we still use it is crazy. Um because cause cause gas is so much cleaner and nuclear is flawless basically. Um when it comes to carbon footprint. Right. No energy source is flawless. In my opinion. But when, when it comes, comes to energy, or when it comes to uh, carbon footprint, yeah, I mean, you, you you can't fault nuclear at all on that on that regard. So, and yeah. safety. If we're if we're going back to the human lives thing, like nuclear is also the safest energy source that we have, despite the scaremongery stories. Oh, and um, and oh, I was gonna, a, oh my god, we are going to get on such a tangent. <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to say <laughs> we go down the nuclear rabbit hole. It's an yeah. amazing one. I was going to say in my. Um, um, our next podcast for Americans for Nuclear Energy it's called Climate Fix Podcast it's on uh, it's on uh, iTunes and SoundCloud the next person and in the talk- show notes and on yeah. mindwave.media yeah uh, we talked to a guy that's, devi- that's developing this reactor that eats all of the spent fuel that's ever been created like like literally eats it like like turns it directly into energy like it, it, it so waste the quote-unquote nuclear waste a lot of it has some good shit left inside of it that can still be fission basically you know uh split apart um are we we talking about molten salt reactors yes it's a molten salt reactor uh but but yeah molten salt reactors are neat because it allows you to do some interesting things um one is it allows you to basically you pour in new fuel so you can 
you know, you have to do some chemistry to like get it in the right, you know, right compound and stuff. But you can take these fissionable elements and you basically can, you can pour them into the reactor and the reactor can consume them. And because it's in a molten state, uh, it's already, you know, it, it's, it's already meltdown proof because it's designed to handle things that are very, very hot. And um, when it gets too hot, and if you know this from chemistry, uh, the hotter something gets, the more far apart atoms get from each other. So basically it, can, it gets hot and then the atoms move farther apart so that they can no longer sustain a reaction. So then the whole thing shuts itself down. So instead of the pressurized, yes. the, the, these huge, dangerous structures, uh, they, not, not necessarily dangerous, I shouldn't say dangerous, but, but the, dangerous, in the dangerous. dangerous in the yeah. Chernobyl design. Let me put it that way. Oh, um, Chernobyl, guess what? Chernobyl didn't even have a, uh, a containment vessel. I mean, a oh containment my goodness. Film. Yeah, but oh yeah, I, I see what you mean. Yeah, so it's not under pressure, so, you, so, you, so something bad can't happen. Right. Right. And, and actually, as long as we're on the subject of Chernobyl, um, you know, this is this is the humanity first uh, uh, podcast. And this is this is the you know, we're talking about a, a science show and there's a lot of overlap there because the, the science of this really confuses a lot of people in the sense that the number of people that died in Chernobyl, when you compare that to the number of people that die every year from respiratory diseases related to the burning of fossil fuels. Yep. I mean, I, I, I actually, I did a, um, uh, a seminar, I guess it was, uh, about, I don't even remember what it was about, but I remember one of the things being about pollution and, uh, basically in India, uh, Bombay and some of the other, you know, some of these large cities have air pollution levels that are so hazardous uh, really it's at the level where they would recommend that you wear a gas mask like that's the level of toxicity here that that millions and millions of people are being subjected to right now and even in the united states where it's a lot better there's still so many respiratory issues that people are uh suffering from that it, it kills more people every year than far more people than than chernobyl ever did because yeah. you're you're breathing and here's the second Sorry, just one second. Mm-hmm. I I just pulled up an article from Scientific American, um, and the the ash itself because respiratory problems it, it is in inhaling gnarly shit into your lungs is is one of the big problems with fossil fuels as a technology and but biomass. Whole, uh, I'm sorry. And biomass, like like burning wood's terrible for you. Oh yes, oh absolutely, but coal ash itself. Um, is actually more radioactive than nuclear waste because when you burn away all the pesky carbon and other uh, impurities uh, they just produce huge amounts of radiation Um, so uranium and thorium are concentrated at up to 10 times their original levels now when you say it's more radioactive than nuclear fuel not necessarily if you have nuclear waste Coal well, ash is more radioactive than nuclear waste. This this is an uh, article written by Mara. Oh Jesus, uh, Vissendal. Yeah, well, it, um, it, it depends for Scientific on the, American. That'll go in the show notes as well. It depends on the concentrations and stuff. But but basically, when it comes to radiation given out to the environment, coal wins. 
Yeah, cold. Like, huge like, margins. Yeah. Yeah. You guys, if you're like scared of nuclear power because of ooh, big bad spooky radiation, it, it, first of all, you should understand what radiation is um, and that the light from the sun or any other source is radiation. What we're concerned about are, is ionizing radiation that can damage DNA. It can literally, these, these high velocity yes. things can literally smash through your DNA molecules and break apart the little ladders. That's why we're worried about radiation. When we're worried about radiation, that's, that's why. Um, so we're only thinking about a, a few different types of radiation that are ionizing that give off these high energy around things that smash DNA into itty bitty little bits. Quick, quick um, tidbit here. Please. Um, I'm not a nuclear... It's, well, right. Oh, so yeah. the more... The more... The lower... I mean, the, the, the shorter the half-life, the more radioactive something is. So when someone says, oh, what about, like, the leftover uranium that remains radioactive for, you know, a billion years, or the plutonium that remains radioactive for, like, 200,000 years... Uh, plutonium is kind of annoyingly radioactive in that it's radioactive enough that in a lot like and it's like it's, it's like a mid-range of a half-life because so so basically it it spits its guts out like slowly but still enough to work and you know cause some problems but uh when people are just like oh well like what about these things that have half-lives of a hundred like a hundred thousand years <laughs> and you're like you know all that stuff those are those are actually still you can use those things as fuel still and you can actually burn those in reactors and, and they're actually in the earth anyway and everything's kind of radioactive anyway well because that's how you the do universe create, works you do create some cool elements though in a nuclear reactor because you have all these neutrons creating new elements and stuff but but any but either way like if you put them in the right reactor you can you can turn anything into a any heavy more unstable radioactive element into a fissionable element. And what you're concerned about are these things called fission products. So the the things that after you break, bust up bust up an atom, you create other unstable uh, but much less heavy atoms. And they have to decay to become stable again. And that is the stuff that's the that's the ugly stuff from nuclear power that you have to make sure is isolated. So that's why they put all the fuel in these big concrete dry casks. Uh, and they just wait till they become a little bit less radioactive. And the, uh, these fission products, like the worst ones last, like like where they decay away to background within like 400 years. So so that's the timeline of, of the of the, of the real waste you need to worry about, which is called fission products, because those are still unstable elements that needed decay to stable elements. Because uh, they were, ba you just, you just basically cracked an atom in half, so they're they're a little bit sketchy. Uh, um, so, but but the thing is, there's such a small amount of them, and they only last like a few centuries, uh, like like before they you can like. You know, basically before you can interact with them again, uh, like person to person. But we can store it underground. We can store it dry castle, and we can, uh, you know, stick it in Cheyenne Mountain. Cheyenne Mountain, and it, it's it's just. And you have to remember that it's that uh. nuclear is 
like two million times more powerful than uh, a hydrocarbon bond. So you have two million times less waste. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I feel like we're disappearing down a rabbit hole, but the, 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 flag, <laughs> the flags that I wanted to, because it, again, we're only talking about, when we talk about nuclear power, we're only talking about like the worst of the worst to, to, culturally. But like, let's think of the, like, the best of the best. Like, how about all them spaceships out there that are powered by fucking RTGs? How about all them? Like, why, why isn't like, oh, Jesse. Like, the fact that all these fucking like spacecraft are still up and running and going around because they have nuclear fucking batteries yeah. why, why isn't that like the number one thing at the top but when we start talking about nuclear power it's like no it literally powers robots on other planets and flying around our solar system well, uh, I, I, that's I, the only way we can do that like, <laughs> the idea that we have to power the world on wind and solar is in my opinion is it doesn't make any sense because it's like saying oh natural is better just because something's natural yeah. it's, it's naive better. right I think naive is fair because it's like it's not your fault for thinking that that's a dumb idea right um it's a cute crayon drawing while we'll still put it on the fridge but it's I, I can't blame people but the people behind it and this comes back to humanity first and the mindset <laughs> of scarcity. Back. this comes back to like the mindset of scarcity and stuff um, it was a lot of environmentalists that were worried about what unlimited energy would mean to humanity because they believe in the idea that, and this is, has its roots with this guy named Richard, uh, no, Thomas Malthus, uh, yes. back in the 1800s. And it's like the, the dismal science. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's like, you know, if we, if we give people too much energy, they're just going to populate out of control. But it turns out that the opposite is true. The more energy you give people the less poverty they're in and the fewer children they have. And, uh, oh, and check this out. Old school Marxists hated Malthus. And a lot of people uh, that I've talked to that are pro-nuclear are some like anti-Malthusian communists, which is kind of weird if you think about it. Um, Libertarians and communists holding hands. It is a weird thought. Yeah, right, right. And But but the idea was like, you know, we have to rely on, 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 on the very constraints of nature but relying on nature means you have to invade on it too much and you have to like you have to you have to you know i'm i'm the type of person that wants nature to be left alone and have humans kind of separate ourselves from it not not forever you know, you know what i'm saying so it's like like living within nature or among nature is very hard on nature i want to turn nature into a preserve that yeah. humans visit and, and, and we don't need to have a source of energy that we can that we can barely like that we can barely rely on you know like that we can just get enough to get by we there's no reason why we can't have all the energy we want when we want it and if if anything if we if we don't if, if we don't allow people to have energy you don't really care about their prosperity so it, it has some like some like inequality aspects to it like you can't expect people that are already like struggling to get by energy wise to use these very uh meager sources of power that just don't give you the energy when you need it we we should give any everyone should have as much electricity as they need 
to live a dignified life. And that's and, my and fact, Yeah, and the, and the fact they don't is why India is such a mess uh, ecologically. It, because you're like you were talking about, the poverty forces people to burn these really inferior fuel products. Uh, you know, in some, in many cases, it's cow dung and things like that. Yes. And and to stay alive, yes, people will do that. You know that that it doesn't matter that it adds carbon. It doesn't like none of that stuff matters. They have to feed their kids, right? So, if you think about it from a game theoretic perspective or something like that, you know. It, what else are they going to do? They're going, it, it, it's not the long-term consequences or the collective, uh, collective effect that, that that's going to have. It's it's the immediate necessity of survival. And so we have to free people from that. Uh, uh, you, you know, you, you've got to take away the threat of of perishing in order for people to flourish. And so, uh, yeah, I, I love that future of, of abundant energy. And uh, and there's a guy I, I think. Um, he's the one who popularized uh, uh, the molten salt reactors. At least he's the guy I learned it from. Uh, Kirk Sorensen. Have you? Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with. Oh yeah. With uh, and and I and I think this sort of circles back to what we were talking about earlier. Because what I remember him saying is that he believes that he's going to be able to isolate some of the uh, products from the molten salt. That he's not. It's not even necessarily the the hyperabundant energy that is his main ob objective. It's some of the isotopes and some of the uh, products from the uh, uh, reactions that yeah. are, are so expensive, so difficult to create for medical purposes and for other, you know, for, for uh, you know, various exotic purposes. It's alchemy. And, yeah, it's like, it is basically alchemy. Yeah, exactly. And, and so, it's true it is true alchemy it is that's yeah you can you can get you know radioisotopes that are very valuable and you know just the right half-life that are very good in like uh, imaging that saves lives like like even in australia where nuclear power is actually banned by the government they still have one nuclear reactor that operates and that's to make medical isotopes yeah. and they need it and then it needs to be on the continent because it, it, it needs to be dispersed very quickly because it has a time limit on it you know so it's like you know nuclear is it's already with us and we already need it we're already we're already tied into it um and uh you know uh but, but i'm just gonna tell you what energy abundance brings to people is everything it brings them clean water it brings them the ability to uh, dispose of waste. It, it gives them, you know, the ability to have refrigeration, uh, life-saving, uh, you know, healthcare. Uh, energy is the secret that makes civilization and the industrial world work. And if you give people abundant energy, you know, you can start repairing environmental problems too. You can start sucking carbon dioxide out of the air. You know, if there's a lack of rainwater because of drought, you can desalinate the oceans because you have energy to do it. You can create your, with nuclear power, you can run certain chemistries to where you can take carbon dioxide out of the air and water and reverse a combustion reaction and turn it into jet fuel, gasoline, rocket fuel. Um, 
so it's like a it's like you use it over and over again um the, and oh but and, and which and is neutral let's let's yeah. let's and, add that yeah and the whole thing is which are fantastic is that energy can get us closer to closed loop capitalism where everything we use is then deconstructed into its you know basic parts and then reconstructed into whatever we want it to use like you know you can remelt aluminum glass you can turn plastic back into polymer to make more plastic uh you, you can do all sorts of crazy stuff uh to where you know there is there is no landfill because if you think about it a landfill is just an inefficiency yes mm. this is how the the, the whole thing because I've, I've been in the background this whole time and uh, jamming little things here and there and just gushing uh, quite emotionally at how beautiful this conversation is. What we're really talking about is getting, uh, we're, we're talking about the Kardashev scale at this point. And this is why this applies to humanity first. This is why this is a humanity first conversation, you guys, because we're talking about the Kardashev scale. We're talking about going from a type zero civilization to a type one civilization, to a planetary civilization that can use and store all of the available energy on its planet. That's what we're talking about, using it as efficiently as possible, harnessing the full potential of everything in a way that is not, uh, I mean, we're using caveman clubs and you know, in energy production, in still burning coal and you know, the fact that all, we, all the way across, the fact that we we're can still be going like shit. laser scalpel, like holographic laser scalpel level shit, is what we're gonna need to get to type one. And, and you cannot, literally, you can't do that without nuclear power. Like understanding and using that because of like it, it's no contest of like. That is, a, that is a prerequisite, I think, to becoming a type one civilization. We have to fully understand and harness the full power of nuclear energy. Because, of course. That's why, that's why I liked how Yang talked about it. But he does have a person on, on the left that is all, like very pro-nuclear and knows his shit about it. And that's Cory Booker. Hmm. Listen to Cory Booker talk about nuclear. He he geeks out like that guy's so smart. Holy crap! So he studied because he lives like uh, he's from the inner city. Uh, I think um, some uh, New Jersey. What's the city in New Jersey? Newark. Yeah, I think it's Newark. Yeah, um, and there's like a lot of you know kind of poor areas that are often located by. Uh, like energy generation facilities and it's, they're disproportionately black. So he was reading on like, how do we get the levels of asthma down in, you know, poor urban black youth and stuff. And he like just did his research on the various sources of clean energy. And he went down the nuclear rabbit hole and he's just like, holy crap, this is, you know, if we, he brings up the term environmental justice, which yeah. I don't like as well because I think I think if we focus too much on like, like, like what has become very, I think a lot of social justice has turned from good to bad. Um, but, but it, it is an environmental justice issue to politicizing it is dangerous. Yeah, but, but, you know, but the it idea, needs to be science based. Yeah, but the it idea has is that Greenpeace effect. 
But the idea is he looked at the evidence and came to a conclusion. And I'm like, dang, we need politicians like that. So he was my number two. I love Cory Booker. Well, they, and they, they were good friends. I mean, I remember at one point, uh, a- Andrew saying, I'm pretty sure Corey's going to be back on this stage. And, and, uh, th- that being kind of a, uh, you don't see moments like that in politics where everybody's so ruthless and, and, uh, you know, trying to muscle out the competition and Andrew, yeah. Andrew Yang <laughs> wants his friend back on the stage. You know, it's, it's, it was, it was almost surreal kind of a thing for a presidential candidate to say, but it's, you know, characteristic of, of, of how he, of how he is and, and how he ran uh, uh, the campaign. But um, so, sir, but circling back to um, you know bypassing government, I think this is one of those those places where the government is just going to end up being obsolete from this. I think what's going to happen is um, there are already right now um, uh, industrial enterprises underway trying to harness the power of molten salt reactors. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of that's happening in India. A lot of that's happening in China. We are definitely getting, uh, you know, left in the dust because of our preoccupation with idiocy. And uh, so that that's that's where we're at. It, but so it'll be a commercial solution. It'll be offered by the marketplace eventually. Uh, it just won't be our marketplace. It's going to be other investors and it's going to be other other uh, uh, countries that really capitalize on this endless technology, this endless energy, just yeah. it, it, it's it's uh, it's it's in some sense it's tragic, but in another, you know, it's karma if we let that happen. So hopefully we don't let that happen. But I and I, and I think we're going in the right direction with uh, the the regulations because right now the government the regulations for nuclear are almost to the point where they aren't even regulations. They're just they just exist to keep the nuclear production industry literally on its deathbed Mm. because of the environmentalists in like the 70s but there's a lot of bipartisan legislation that's going through that's allowing these new technologies to you know come to light uh or like allow more r&d on it national labs are now going to start facilitating companies to you know design and test their reactor designs on government property um we, we definitely need some sort of carbon pricing to 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 make the the carbon free electricity of nuclear like worth something in the market um, and I, I, I think we'll get there and that's why this here's why I think the libertarians nominees were so are, are so enthused about nuclear because it's one of those stories of look the government has regulated it to a deathbed when it has so much potential so it's like that story of oh abundance versus scarcity or like or the government's screwing something up so uh but but i i think we're gonna get there and i think we're gonna have a cultural shift towards loving nuclear again like it was in the 60s well Uh, especially with people from our generation talking about this i mean i've i've had conversations with people in their 60s and 70s where they're shocked that nuclear is pretty much like if i were to be a single issue voter uh energy is is pretty mm-hmm. close to the top of the list of things that could get me there and and uh so you know the fact of rejecting uh, uh certain politicians because of their stance on on nuclear kind of caught some of them off guard because they're of that you know 
environmentalist activist mindset and you know the experiences they had with the terror of three mile island and all that you know they're 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 spooked you know they they got uh and it's the same thing with marijuana for that generation too you know they got programmed that by the propaganda to have a certain belief set that is just false and and so uh you know our generation that has access to a lot of research power that just was not available back then. And so we're not as easily misled. We we know what our failed policy is. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so I'm actually, that's why I'm very bullish on our future in a lot of ways, even though there's so many obstacles in the long range. I I think, first of all, I think we're going to start having better and better conversations with social media because I know from my only, my own experience, I mean, I was, I was this this horrible SJW the, in, in my early years, uh, just the worst. <laughs> Some people would still say I am, but uh, uh, I, I like to think of myself as having become a lot more patient and tolerant over time, and more experienced with the uh, you know the the social media environment and ha- being able to have conversations with people who I radically disagree with without having to resort to uh, personal attacks or, or moralistic arguments and, and keeping it framed within the context of science and what's true. And that's a learned skill. Not everybody has it. Nobody starts off with it. In, in the pro-nuclear movement, it's the it, it makes my heart fuzzy and warm because people that disagree with each other on politics still agree on nuclear. Like, there's a lot of conservatives that love nuclear. There's a lot of progressives that love nuclear. And literally, we both win. It's good for business. It's good for the environment. It, it allows to get people out of poverty. It's, it's it's one of those things where, man, I am, I am friends with communists, climate deniers, and, and we're all agreeing on something. And it's the most amazing thing ever. And this is, and I probably should head off here soon because I have an appointment in the morning. But um, here's a, like an anecdote of mine is I, I think I live in a pretty big city. I live in Denver. Uh, there was a Bernie Sanders rally and it was, you know, just packed. And I was just like, I had the idea of like, you know, I'm going to go there with a sign and just say something very simple. And my sign said, Bernie Sanders is wrong to reject nuclear power. And I got overwhelmingly positive in like, like discussion and I, I think it's like especially with young people and I think young people get it and I think the the anti-nuclearism bug is is, is starting to just age away you know and I, I saw you know a, a lot of people that were geeking out over it and they were just like yeah man I heard some things about molten salt reactors people love the molten salt reactors and, yeah and, and and I love them too um, um and, and a lot of them were just like, yeah, I, I disagree. Bernie Sanders is wrong to not, I mean, to reject it. And I was so happy because I thought I was going to get like a lot of hate. But uh, I mean, if you get the stink eye and, if, you know, one lady tried it. I mean, well, she's she, God bless her soul. Like, she just doesn't know much about it. But she was like trying to convince me like why it's still bad and stuff. And I just kept spitting facts at her and she couldn't, she couldn't compute and um, you know, I, I wasn't mean to her or anything, uh, but it, it's it's like 
don't know. But there are like right answers to this stuff. Right. You know, there are like the the people with the uh, uh, pocket protectors and glasses and lab coats. Like they got there for a reason. There is like a right answer to that question just because you can't answer it. Uh, I mean, like, but progressives are this close to to getting pro nuclear and starting uh, to yeah. not not pretend wind and solar is the only solution because wind and solar is just not going to cut it, folks. It's not. It's it's, no. a, it's a losing. It's a, it's a losing battle. It's it, it's it's trying to deal with less energy. We need more energy. Unlimited energy for everyone. The the uh, mindset of abundance, kids. We want abundant energy to be able to fucking run our hoverboards and our fucking hollow sheds. You know, the, for the twenty first century to fucking go. That's how we're gonna go. We're just gonna go into the virtual reality. We need nuclear we need power massive amounts of energy. We get to uh, Mars with people in like yes. three weeks. With spaceships a, with the guys nuclear powered engine yes we need nuclear energy i don't care if you're if you're scared of it you are being like one of the first cave monkeys to be like Ugh! when uh, when prometheus came down from the mountain and was like look uh fire fire cook meat uh, animal meat cook uh plus tummy equals good in whatever oops and uggs happened back then <laughs> But like clearly, yes, like fire, fire hot, <laughs> fire dangerous. We are kind of at that point in human civilization that's like, no, obviously, you guys, if we're going to have fucking starships, if we're going to be like trying to open wormholes <laughs> and shit, we need massive amounts of energy, which we will never get from our uh, rubbing these little sticks together. We need nuclear power. Yeah. Clearly, so the, the, wanna... this is a huge part of the humanity. First thing that uh, it's like also, also nuclear energy because you know, and 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 like freedom. That's true freedom for the planet. Right for there. for the space nerds out there, nuclear unlocks everything. It unlocks. We could go to the moons of Titan. No, the moon of mm-hmm. Titan. We could we could go to Saturn. Anything past Mars, solar wise, is is gonna crap out on you because it's. You know, getting farther away from the star, inverse square law. Um, mm-hmm. Inverse square law, which yeah, is and, decreasing and, uh, input from the sun on yeah. your solar panels, so you cannot have these spacecraft way the fuck out there. The having <laughs> solar panels, <laughs> all of the spacecraft which are going all the way out into the craziness, they all have nuclear batteries, which is why we still have. Voyager, which was launched in what was like 1977. That won't die. <laughs> it won't fucking die. This is a fucking like retro robot flying out there in space with a golden record attached. It's still going. Got <laughs> this nuclear. Atomic. Atomic is better. I like the Ivan Duza's uh, stringent German scientist man who's like, oh, sir, I, I, atomic. It's the atomic. Thank God the Germans didn't discover the bomb first. That would have Holy that would have been bad. Only because we stole all their scientists, which <laughs> yeah. was uh, a, a really good idea. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, Let me just say, Jesse, Jesse, please, please, please save me. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I was, I was uh, gonna kind of wrap this together and then, and then give uh, uh, Phil the the final word. But the uh, the thing that. I love about this conversation is actually you've you've persuaded me that UBI is the wrong thing for me to be pushing right now 
because first we need to have unlimited energy. That is that is the thing that everyone can unite behind. And and so w what we were what we were trying to figure out at the at the early stages of the conversation what what could unite the country behind a single objective. UBI I thought would do it, but it didn't. And it, you know, the, the, a lot of people don't understand the motivation or the or the uh, purpose or why it you know the good it could do and so there's just too much resistance to it but there isn't that same resistance for nuclear across the political spectrum it's more of a generational spectrum yes and, and so that uh that is the opportunity going forward we can unite the country behind a nuclear future and then with the abundance generated from that ubi won't even i mean it, when you have that much abundance why would you ever want anybody to be suffering from deprivation right so at, at that point so it's the order of operations i just realized in this conversation uh, uh nuclear, nuclear has to have the first that's how we get there. the good thing about nuclear is that it it's not one of those things people have this idea that oh the more people you have working on solar and wind the cheaper electricity is no. going to be no that's not true but what nuclear allows us to do is we need to build these we need to build these machines but once these machines are built, they're going to serve us for, for 100 years. Uh, or at least light water reactors can, like the ones we have now. Like, like we can build these things so they can last 100 years. And it would be a, a great way to harden our grid, a great way to, you know, get people construction jobs um, that will pay off in the future. Um, you know, but they won't last forever. But, I mean, it, it's one of those things where the amount of workers you need is at like the right ratio to the output of the plant that you still make quite a bit of money and you, you have like qualified people that step into work so there's like there's a job thing that can actually pay off and make us money because then we can like export extra energy in the form of hydrogen or something to other countries or whatever we could do all sorts of stuff um, we could um solve climate change. Climate change is the ex existential threat. And if the activists are serious about it being an existential threat, then you gotta keep all options on the table. And I think more people would have hope for the future of the planet if they had, if they knew that we have a, a type of technology that could literally solve the problem because it can do everything fossil fuels can do. Um, it, like, like, like what's in the it, it, it's it's good for business um it, it it means no one has to really worry about you know energy costs as much because basically once you nuclearize everything and run it um you, you don't have to pay for very much fuel anymore because you need such little amount of nuclear fuel to run these things so we, we could see uh, energy prices go very low um you know, we could decarbonize the transportation sector by making uh, artificial fossil fuels. Um, let's see, what, what are some more conservative reasons to do it? Oh, energy independence, for sure. For sure. Why should we, why should, you know, we should only be exporting our natural gas. Why do we even need to use it? We could nuclearize ourselves, make ourselves electricity like, like, you know, just perfect. Energy independent. That's energy as a as a species. Let's let's take it way back down to the monkey world. Like, how much energy do we have? 
Okay. Now, back when we lived in caves, it was like, how much fire can we make big to cook meat? How much meat can cook? And everyone loved uh, money, and energy equals money. Because if you look yeah. at the, if you look at and the this graph, is like, yeah, no, 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 check this out. Look at the graph. The uh, GDP, of course, is not the best measure of economic progress, but still a measure, still matters. Uh, but GDP is directly correlated to how much energy you use, and then uh, how much, you know population you have and and how much pollution you have is directly uh like the more energy you have access to the cleaner some of your surroundings are and the less humans you have and the more and the more wealthy people are so it's like it's like universal basic energy basically yeah yeah Here's, here's the message Nailed for conservatives. It. Here's the message for conservatives. This, this came to me. So in, in World War II, we were using nuclear as a weapon, not just a weapon, the ultimate weapon, the weapon to end all weapons. That was what nuclear was. And now it's time to turn our swords into plowshares. That's, yes. that's one of the biblical messages where, you know, blessed are the peacemakers. And Adams for peace. Yeah. Adams for Peace, uh, the Dwight Eisenhower program, because uh, he was conflicted about the uh, the use of of weapons, and he's just like, "Whoa, we need to do something positive with this, yeah. you know, nightmarish technology." That's it. That's what it is, man. So that I, I I've you filled me with hope, and uh, I, I can't wait to talk more about this with you. And and this is this is clearly the way forward, and. So, uh, it, yeah, it I'm, I'm really glad we could. Bothered. Sorry, I didn't catch that. Oh, it gets me hot and bothered. <laughs> I can, I can see that. Jenner too, but uh, then again, just about everything does. But oh yeah, <laughs> guys, because we all want to live in the Star Trek future, and it's like, well, how do we get there? Yeah, and um, it is nuclear, okay. no question. It is, and nuclear. and it's like, well, obviously, we need to harness the power of the atom. Any strong any nuclear. visiting alien would be like, well. Duh, why aren't you cracking that? And they're like, well, because it's dangerous because it's a weapon. And it's like, well, yeah, uh, can be used that way. But, like, look at the fucking potential in there. And it's like, it. this feels like a cosmic test. It's like, prove yourself worthy before entering the halls of the gods. This is probably why the aliens don't fucking talk to us, because we haven't proven <laughs> we can be taken seriously as a species. No, nuclear power is one of, one of my ultimate jams. Well, yeah, duh. Do we want to be able to 3D print ourselves a new body when, you know, Think about we it. get hit by a car and we have to download our consciousness into a new body? As apes, uh, as apes how, how crazy is it that we are gonna be, that we know how to turn matter into energy? That is crazy, yeah. Power and we, of we shit. Eventually, we'll figure out fusion, too. In fact, like, nuclear, like... Fission technology could probably get up, give us the energy to jumpstart a, a fusion reaction to where, you know, you're just producing hydrogen in some, you know, like, direct radiation that hits, like, a, you know, a shield somewhere, you know, where it's literally just pure, unadulterated, you know, fusion energy uh, forever. And then we're done. Then we're done with energy. Like, oh, yeah. that's how you get one. That's type one. I think that's when we get to type one. And then what's next is what? Antimatter or some shit, you know? 
At that point, it doesn't. Once we hit fusion, it doesn't even matter what the next step is, because that'll be good for like 600 years before <laughs> we need, you know, to figure out how to move planets and stars and shit. Before we get to that point, once we hit fusion, we are unlocking the power of the sun. We are we are being the ancient Egyptian, whatever eight thousand years ago. You don't need a Dyson sphere if you have your the, own star. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Literally, yeah. you can look up the the power of the sun god. This is the if if you look at you know mythology on Earth, one of the oldest ideas for God is the sun itself is that thing. Once we hit that point where we're like, oh yeah, we can do that in a bottle. <laughs> we can do it. the thing that the sun is doing up there 92 million miles away uh oh yeah we can do that in a bottle now because that's how fucking cool of a weird ass species of fucking cosmos monkey we are that's how rad humans are because that's totally the potential we could just turn nature into a big nature preserve and get the fuck off the planet because guess what that's it's the more, goal it's yeah. more comfortable to build a uh you know one of those like rotating space stations Anyway, yeah, but I'm totally like, let's abandon all of the human monkeys, abandon Earth, and let's give the entire planet of Earth to the San Diego Zoo and let them turn the entire planet into a wild animal park and give them 11 trillion dollars a year in funding. But but first let's but first let's let Phil get to sleep. We got we got to bring yeah. him back for another one. Of well, I, I do appreciate it because I've been dealing with some very some very intense anxiety and and stuff because I I I also battle like a rare form of muscular dystrophy too, and it's just been one of the worst years of my life. And this is kind of this is really helping me kind of you you don't know what this means for me right now is. I, I'm now talking about something I'm interested in, and I'm breaking out of a, starting to chisel out of a, uh, a what could have ended up a very bad depression. So it, I really appreciate you guys. This has been fun. I mean, things like humanity first, nuclear power, this, these very humanist ideas are, are, are what keep me going and will, you know, I mean, I just, it, it will, it, it means I have a lot of purpose left and a lot of stuff to do still. So I can't get discouraged about, you know, what happens in my life too much. And it gives me something to look forward. So this has been really helpful. I really appreciate you guys. And it is a pleasure. And we haven't even gotten started yet. This is only the beginning. This is, this is day one. And uh, we got a lot to do. For sure. All right. Purpose. Well, purpose and hope. I uh, both of you. I I have an immense amount of love for both of you. Thank you for. <laughs> Jenner's over here crying. This like close it out, Jesse. I'm just gonna cry. <laughs> All right. Thank you guys, everybody, for listening. We love you too, and uh, uh, we'll see you next time. Go. Cool. Of course, now it's passed. Uh, I, I think it is that as some kind of a gauntlet level challenge to where like maybe it's external, maybe it's maybe it's an emergent phenomenon. I really feel like we are being challenged and it's like only the strongest will survive. Um, so I, I've been feeling that a lot and I'm, I'm going to call that the gauntlet and I'm going to frame it as an extraterrestrial uh, 
prognosis tool to where like, let's just imagine that there's some higher being in higher earth orbit scanning us and putting out some shit to like test us to see which of the uh, stupid monkeys called humans will survive, you know, the next stage of human evolution. It does feel like that for me. Uh. Kermit the Frog and left a piece off of my chair. Uh, in the hot sticky swamp. Uh, Philip, I love you. Uh, thank you for hanging out. Yeah, I don't know what it is, but you're right. It seems like a lot of people are dealing. I think it's just the common Homo sapien reaction to intense stress. Mm, the and human condition. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's the human condition is really hardcore right now. Uh, I imagine, you know, during the worst dark ages of, of human history, almost everybody felt like this all the time. Yeah, like during the Black Death, I bet, too. Yeah. Yeah. For real, man. Um, and we just haven't experienced this before. So it feels very alien. It feels foreign, you know, to wake up like that. And just it, All this anxiety and extra stress and like, oh, my God, like feeling your heartbeat like all it, and being like should i be worried about that am i gonna have a heart attack like oh my god what's happening um but i think that's just uh it's a reminder it's a reminder man that you're you are alive and uh there's more to do being alive is you know it's it's just gonna hurt sometimes you know it has to yeah uh it it has to by default almost um and you know doing shit like this doing shit like this like it just being present for this conversation participating in uh very little of it made me feel so much better than any therapy session or nap or whatever would make me feel just being a part of this and being like oh wow wait we can actually we can actually do something to make this better not just for us but for like everybody we can actually do something here there's a verb there's an activity that we could do a, a, a way that we could spend our time to actually make this better not just for ourselves but like for each other and everyone else at the same time and it's uh why this is literally all I want to do now you know and I'm I'm really 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 thankful that the orbits synced up enough for us to be able to pull this off this evening that was a oh my god that was like oh amazing episode amazing episode I cannot wait to take that into post production because that's going to be fucking amazing yeah all right, well, that movie's about over, so. Sleep good, buddy. Because I got to get up at like 6 in the morning. Oh, boy. So. Sleep well. It's okay, I don't sleep well in the mornings anyway, so. Mm. 
but well, you're going to be checked out by the MDs, even because I, mm. yeah, I'm a hypochondriac. It makes sense, though, because, I mean, living with this disease all my life. Uh, there's a rational, there's a rational rationality to the, to the fear there that I, I wouldn't you know, dare challenge, you know, like, don't be scared of that. It's, I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, your mindset has to be that you're bigger and better and stronger than anything that can come at you because you are, um, you know. Um, but, like, the, of course, that would be, you know, and it's it's worth it's worth talking about and it's worth sharing that story. So, you know, you, the, the episode that we just recorded is going to be immensely valuable to quite a few people out there and i i hope you i hope you realize that and maybe maybe it'll ha it'll have to wait till after it comes out <laughs> to see how powerful that's gonna be but oh my god that was amazing i fucking love you man it's uh oh my god are we still re we're still recording after show okay so i'll cut it <laughs> i've been pushing away everybody i love I don't know what to do Need a sign from above I just want to be somebody who knows Who knows how to behave But I'm not even close Won't you save, 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 save me Won't you save, 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 save me I am out here alone Cause there's nobody left I need someone to talk to Get this pain on my chest All the bad things I've done and the people I've heard Wanna take that part of me And leave it in the dirt Won't you save, 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 save me Won't you save, 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 save me You save, 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 save me Oh, save me Save, save me Oh, I've been trapped in this darkness For far too long now Wanna tear down the curtains Let the sun shine in I've been seeking forgiveness Cause I know I was wrong Oh, I'm running out of time I have to stay strong
Won't you say? 